0: Skepticism of the COVID profiteers is justified. Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. This is my book review of The Truth About COVID-19, Exposing the Great Reset, Lockdowns, and the New Normal by Dr. Joseph Mercola. So, having found uh, Dr. Mercola's previous book, EMF'd, very eye-opening, scientifically rigorous, and full of the kind of pragmatic takeaways that a biohacker like me loves, I picked up the truth about COVID-19. So, in this... Review I'm going to start by making an important philosophical point, and I think it's actually going to be a philosophical thrust that's going to be useful to you in the conversations that you have had and are going to continue to have inevitably with. Friends, family, loved ones, <laughs> random, random strangers on the street, as uh, as happened with me and my my wife when we were walking our dog this morning about the whole COVID thing, and then after that uh, philosophical uh, performance, I'm gonna try to make. Uh, I'm going to have the pragmatic stuff because I'm always got an eye on the pragmatism. So I'm going to have all that for you here. So to start off, I need to address the skeptics. And uh, as always, skeptics should be addressed memetically with memes. So I have got a meme. It's pretty cute. That I made you can find it over on the article below wherever you are listening to this that is where I do have links to everything that I talk about here so you're going to want to check that out if not just to take an oogle at this cute cat meme that I made so there's this uh, this kitty that has a very serious look to the kitty's face and the kitty says I'm a skeptic, I believe in science and what I was taught in public school and what the mainstream media repeats and what academia preaches and what my television says and what celebrities espouse and what the government tells me and what the corporations tell me. And what I find on Google, YouTube, and Wikipedia. I'm a skeptic. So, important point. The real skeptic or critical thinker challenges power. They do not devote themselves intellectually to perpetuating the status quo or defending billionaires, overpaid celebrities on television, politicians, and multinational corporations that's not what the real skeptic does the most deserving target of skepticism should be impositions by the powerful upon the public i'll repeat that because it's an important point the most deserving target of skepticism should be impositions by the powerful upon the public If the monolithic institutions of society appear to be colluding to coerce you into doing something, that should be the subject of your skepticism. In the foreword of the book, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. eloquently and vociferously applies Occam's razor in eviscerating the covid profiteers who call us conspiracy theorists while they rob us of our rights quote government technocrats billionaire oligarchs big pharma big data big media the high finance robber barons and the military industrial intelligence apparatus love pandemics for the same reasons they love wars and terrorist attacks. Catastrophic crises create opportunities of convenience to increase both power and wealth. While obliterating the American middle class and dropping an additional 8% of Americans below the poverty line, the 2020 COVID coup transferred a trillion dollars of wealth to big technology, big data, big telecom, big finance, big media behemoths, uh, Michael Bloomberg, Robert Murdoch, and Silicon Valley internet titans such as Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, Larry Page, and Jack Dorsey. It seems beyond coincidence that these same men who are cashing in on the poverty and misery caused by global lockdowns. Are the same men whose companies actively censor critics of those policies. That is something that I cannot buy as a coincidence. This is a situation where we have to apply Occam's razor. We have to say, what is more likely here? Is it more likely that there is some sort of conspiratorial thing going on in the world of high finance, uh, of big media, of big tech where they are enshrining their profits. That's clear that someone applying Occam's razor and critical thinking who knew just a bit about human nature would inevitably reach that conclusion. Thanks in part to COVID, we now find ourselves living in a bizarre state of liberal fascism. Big government and big business are aligned and hellbent on getting us all to wear face masks, take experimental mRNA vaccines that were developed at warp speed, social distance, close our businesses, and stay home. These impositions, sometimes enforced by police, with a literal boot to the face and sometimes with coercive steel fist in a velvet glove, draconian measures like vaccine passports are what deserve at least as much of your skepticism as quote-unquote conspiracy theories do. If you're an empirical skeptic and not a dogmatic skeptic like Mr. Skepticat in my meme. Again, go and check out that meme. Feel free to download it and uh, share it around on social media as you inevitably get into debates about that. If you're an empirical skeptic, the truth about COVID-19 is worth a read. So like I said. I am going to get pragmatic, but first I want to just jump around in the book uh, from different things that I highlighted in there. Things that jumped out at me. Chapter 1, which is how the pandemic plans unfolded, makes a real important point that I'll revisit here couple of times, quote, the overwhelming majority of COVID-19's victims in the U.S., 80% have been elderly, 65 years or older, with almost all suffering from serious pre-existing chronic diseases or medical conditions. And here's kind of an important takeaway, uh, It might be a controversial thing to say. COVID-19 is largely an angel of karma. At least in terms of the death, it's largely killing people that have been very irresponsible with their health for decades and decades and decades. This is not like the the aliens that arrived in in Independence Day and just indiscriminately slaughtered vast portions of the population the COVID-19 death toll while while tragic is largely people's decisions catching up with them quote the public health bottom line is that SARS-CoV-2 virus is not much a deadly plague in itself but rather a viral trigger that aggravates and intensifies pre existing chronic medical conditions, what pathologists call comorbidities. So this brings us to an important point, which is don't be fat. Quote, the correlations between COVID 19 and obesity are worrisome. One report published last month, in one report published last month, Researchers found that people with obesity who caught the coronavirus were more than twice as likely to end up in the hospital. And nearly 50% more likely to die of COVID-19. And as I'm sure you're aware of by this time, amazingly, this is amazing to me, a lot of people have gotten fat. In the uh, intervening year or so that's passed since the outbreak was announced, since the lockdowns imprisoned us in our apartments, there has been a dramatic increase in people's weight. People have been staying home and they have been doing a lot of eating their uh, couches have seen a whole lot of their bottom sides and so this thing with people getting fat and i don't know if it's because i'm a real health conscious person i think that it's pretty damn obvious when there's a pandemic going around that you don't want to be I think it's pretty close to common knowledge that being fat makes you all the more in a high-risk group. And so if you're watching television, if you're hearing non-stop on social media about how there's a terrifying uh, virus threatening everyone, it seems to me that it should be terribly obvious, even if you have an, an IQ of... Uh, 75 that you don't want to be fat and I guess I'll jump back into a philosophical point on this part when people mainstream kind of people the quote-unquote normies when they tell us things like uh, well you need to wear a mask you need to get uh, vaccinated you should stay home to stop the spread They almost invariably do so, appealing to a collectivist uh, take on things. They rarely come to you and make a point and say, "You know, there was a there was a study that I read that showed that uh, masks can stop the spread." What they almost always do is they almost always lead or conclude with a collectivist argument. And collectivism is just a it's just a bullshit worldview. It's probably the very most common uh, worldview. And it just it doesn't stand up philosophically at all. It is a total house of cards. And I'll make an important point. You should not care about people more than they care about themselves. And this applies uh, philosophically, societally. It especially applies interpersonally that if you care about people more than they care about themselves, you are not going to have a good life. You're going to be on the receiving end of uh, abuse and you'll be taken advantage of perpetually. You should care about people about as much as they care about themselves, And so when you look at this trend of so many people getting fat, so many people becoming obese as a result of just laziness and the, the bad policy of the lockdowns, that tells us a lot about how much the uh, millions and billions, how many about that multiplicity that makes up the population that tells us so much about how much people really care about themselves. And so please do let that inform you when you're subject to one of these collectivist arguments about how you should do some uh, nonsensical thing because it's for the greater good. And I guess I'll jump to a quote. And this was a quote by dr anthony fauci from well before the pandemic outbreak he said years ago and if there's one message i want to leave with you today based upon my experience this was some kind of presentation that he did at a at a at a retreat some kind of powwow he said it is that There is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming Trump administration in the arena of infectious diseases. But also, there will be a surprise outbreak that really sounds like he knew something was coming, doesn't it? And he adds confidently, the thing we're extraordinarily confident about about, is that we're going to see this in the next few years and I think that was in 2017 he says he's extraordinarily confident about it happening that that really sounds like he was in on something which brings me into Another point that I do want to make, which is that there are influencers out there shilling. There are people out there, podcasters, YouTubers in particular, that are lying to and misdirecting their audiences that are lining up with the uh, mainstream Corporate with with the official COVID narrative, and they have done that because they took their 30 pieces of silver, and this is uh, has actually been disclosed by a discussion here between Hill and Knowlton, who said who proposed identifying three tiers of influencers. Celebrities with large social media followings, individuals with smaller but more engaged followings, and hidden heroes. Those users with slight followings, but who nevertheless shape and guide conversations. And this makes me think of a podcast that I listen to with a somewhat gritted teeth. Just this week, it was a Sam Harris podcast and he did a whole podcast interview i think it was like 90 minutes long addressing the anti vaxxers and sam harris was uh, deeply opposed to the anti vaxxers and to uh, the uh, epidemic of misinformation going on and for those of you who don't follow me on twitter you might want to check out some of the the tweet responses I did too this because uh, Sam Harris has a huge Twitter following and he released this podcast on Twitter and it looked like something like 80 to 90% of the tweet responses that he was getting were just eviscerating him for all of these bad straw men arguments that he made in the podcast. And in the podcast, he was uh, throwing a lot of shade on uh, another well-known podcaster, uh, Brett Weinstein. And Brett Weinstein is kind of on the uh, the truther side of things. He's kind of, uh, he's more or less anti-establishment, and he has what I have, which is the skeptical view towards the COVID profiteers and Big Pharma. And he, Sam was throwing all this shade on this guy. And the, the really funny thing about this is that these two guys know each other quite well. In fact, he refers to Brett Weinstein repeatedly as his, his friend. And of course, what he is doing, he was doing this interview talking with uh, some doctor, some well known uh, mainstream doctor who looks like he's some sort of Twitter celebrity who was also very, very anti vax. And everyone in the tweet responses was calling out Sam and saying, Look, Sam, if you're so concerned, if you're trying, if you want to make a, a good faith, argument about this, why don't you just debate your friend? If the science and the facts and the logic and the reasoning is on your side, then it should stand up in debate. Uh, Sam Harris is this uh, amazingly well-spoken kind of guy. If he wanted to take this seriously, if the good arguments were on his side, why not just debate? And so this is where I go back to what the, boi- what the book points out, which is that a lot of influencers, podcasters, YouTubers that you are probably subscribed to, they may have taken money from this giant uh, propaganda mechanism that that exists. That is a that's a disappointing reality, isn't it? And this brings us on to a topic that the book uh, discusses in detail. I'm not going to discuss it in so much detail because uh, the book does such a better job. And you probably should read this. It points out that the ultimate aim of the whole COVID, the COVID coup, as Robert F. Kennedy calls it, is technocracy. And it defines it as such, rather than being based on pricing mechanisms, such as supply and demand, technocracy is based on resource allocation and social engineering through technology. Under this system, companies would be told what resources they're allowed to use, when and for what, and consumers would be told what to buy. Artificial intelligence, digital surveillance, and big data collection play very important roles, as does the digitization of industries and government, such as banking and healthcare. Social media, tracking devices, 5G, satellites, artificial intelligence, even though it sounds like a dystopian science fiction novel, it's becoming painfully obvious that we are far along in following the plots of futuristic movies like Terminator and The Matrix. We're watching it in real time. And that is a really scary theme. We want to see a future that is freer and saner than what we are living through now. We want to see a future where this uh, experiment that's been ongoing for several hundred years now in Western civilization where people are given freedom, where where we are not slaves in any sense of the word where we are la- allowed to make our own decisions about what we buy, who we love, who we vote for. This is an experiment that elite people that are addicted to power the same way that a cocaine addict is addicted to their drug. They are trying to roll back the clock on that experiment with liberty. That's the ultimate Aim of what's going on here. And I just don't understand why some people regard that as a crazy conspiracy theory. That that to me seems just as obvious as, again, a cocaine addict really wanting to get more cocaine. But we'll get back into the data. The death rate for COVID 19 at that time was around. 0.009 percent. That number was based on a global total death toll of 700,000 and a global population of 7.8 billion. This also means the average person's chance of surviving an encounter with SARS-CoV-2 was 99.991 percent percent your chances of surviving this thing if you're not in awful health which you're listening to a biohacking podcast so i suspect you're in a, a state of pretty ideal health your chances of surviving this are uh, about as well as your chances are of surviving a shark attack while swimming in a in a, in a swimming pool and this is why again The apt target of skepticism is the impositions being made. Getting into some of the health stuff, the common thread connecting nearly all of the COVID-19 comorbidities is insulin resistance. So again, don't be fat. Address insulin resistance if that's an issue that you have. There's a there's all sorts of ways to address insulin resistance. The cheapest that'll actually save you money is fasting. And then beyond that, you can look at all of these great uh, supplements and nutraceuticals. There's resveratrol, which helps with that quite a bit. And in the past, I'd done an exploration of NMN, the NAD precursor, and that does a really excellent. Job. So let's see, I think I've already made my point here about the COVID profiteers. So we'll move on to chapter six, which is about protecting yourself from COVID 19. So, again, obesity alone doubles your risk of being hop- hospitalized for COVID 19 and raises your risk of death going and meeting your maker anywhere from 3.68 times. To 12 times. So those really fat people, they are 12 times as likely to die of COVID-19. If you're a little bit fat, then you're close to four times as much likely to to die of it. So, what can help you with this? Because I don't, I don't want to throw too much uh, <laughs> too much scorn at you for being for being fat if you are. I'll suggest something that Dr. Mercola has talked about a couple of times. He writes, There are many types of exercise, but my favorite is a type of resistance training called blood flow restriction training, which involves slightly restricting arterial flow and obstructing the venous return from the muscle back to the heart. This is done by applying bands to your arms or legs while exercising with very low weights at high repetition. So I will include in the article, link below, where I've got all the resources, everything I discuss here, I'll include some videos about the BFR blood flow restricted training because it is something that I would like to get into, and it looks like something that's a pretty good option. You just get these bands, so it's something pretty cheap. You can you can order them, and then you can do them while you're while you're locked in your home with these uh, with these lockdowns that seem like they're going to be a seasonal thing. Moving forward, next really important, notable, preventative measure, vitamin D. The largest observational study to date on vitamin D and COVID-19 was published in the journal Plus One. September 17th, 2020, it looked at data for 191,000 American patients with a mean age of 50 who were tested for SARS-CoV-2. Notably, the researchers concluded that people with a vitamin D level of at least 50 nanograms per milliliter had a 47% lower SARS-CoV-2 positivity rate than those with a level below 20 nanograms per milliliter. All things considered, vitamin D optimization is likely the easiest and most beneficial strategy that anyone can do to minimize their risk of COVID-19 and other infections and can strengthen your immune system in a matter of weeks. A healthy blood level of vitamin D is considered to be at least 40 nanograms per milliliter with the recommended level in the range of 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter however for optimal health and COVID-19 prevention the number you should aim for is between 60 and 80 nanograms per, per milliliter and he concludes with a point if you aren't getting sun exposure, the typical adult requires 6,000 to 8,000 units of vitamin D per day. So I think if you're just going to have one takeaway from this podcast or book, it's bump up that vitamin D intake. It's really clear that it's good stuff. The majority of people are deficient in vitamin d especially considering the the covid threat that we that we all face now and vitamin d is quite cheap is one of those things where in all likelihood you are down towards that in, unless you're a, a professional uh, surfer or beach volleyball player, you are probably down towards the 20 nanograms uh, end of the spectrum. So pick some of that up. I do link to that in my article. I found a real good source. I think I'm going to link to the Health Rangers Vitamin D because they have really high standards for everything and I like everything that they are about. Next supplement is NAC. I tried this one a while back. I did a deep dive article about it. It's really interesting. NAC is a precursor to uh, glutathione, which appears to play a crucial role in COVID-19. According to one literature analysis, glutathione deficiency may actually be associated with COVID-19. Severity, leading the author to conclude that NAC may be useful both for its prevention and treatment. And you can uh, get an idea of how effective COVID, uh, NAC might be in preventing or treating uh, COVID because the regulators are trying to make it more difficult for you to get it. I believe Amazon Banned it recently but one of my uh, recommended sources i think it was pure nootropics whose stuff i have tried they do carry it so i link to them that's a good one to pick up next is zinc you've probably heard of this as an early treatment for covid19 and other viral infections take 15 milligrams take 7 to 15 milligrams of zinc four times a day ideally on an empty stomach with a phytate free food this dose should not be taken long term however it also discusses vitamin c a number of studies have shown that vitamin c can be very helpful in the treatment of viral illnesses sepsis and ARDS all of which are applicable to COVID-19 its basic properties include anti-inflammatory immunomodulatory antioxidant antithrombotic and antiviral activities at high doses it actually acts as an antiviral drug actively inactivating viruses next thing worth your attention is quercetin and this is a powerful immune booster and broad-spectrum antiviral. Was featured in a review of emerging COVID-19 research published in the Integrative Medicine Journal in May 2020. Quercetin was initially found to provide broad-spectrum protection against SARS coronavirus in the aftermath of the SARS epidemic that broke out in 2003. And evidence suggests it may be helpful for the prevention and treatment of SARS-CoV-2 as well. And I do link in the article over to Doublewood Supplements in the USA. They're one of the few vendors that I really like because they do the spectroscopic analysis of their supplements. And then they actually publish those online Proving that they are pure, that they are what they say they are. He also mentions humidifying your home. Apparently, a risk factor for these types of infections is dry air. And you know how the air in your home can get really dry, especially during those winter months, as you're keeping the uh, windows closed as a habit during winter time here in the balkans where i live winters aren't that severe so i always try to leave the windows open for about 20 minutes in the mornings just to just to get those those buenos aires uh, back into our, uh, our our home here and he does mention humidifiers you have one of those humidifiers running But he uh, points out that humidifiers are kind of high maintenance. You need to clean them very frequently. Otherwise, you're going to have a mold infestation issue. And you need to keep the output of the uh, humidified water within a certain range. Because you'll have to worry about mold. And so what he actually suggests as a real low-tech hack for that, is that you can just breathe in steam from a hot cup of tea or coffee. So that's what I've been doing. You know, you get your tea or your coffee, and for the first minute, you have a bit of steam rising off of it. Just just take a nice whiff of that every time it happens. He also says all of the comorbidities that dramatically increase your COVID-19 risks, including your risk of symptomatic COVID-19 illness, hospitalization, and complications resulting in death are rooted in insulin resistance. Remove the insulin resistance along with the vitamin D deficiency and very few people except for the very old and frail individuals would be at a significant risk from SARS-CoV-2 infection and then i'll touch on chapter seven which is pharmaceutical failures in the COVID-19 crisis and it addresses corruption a while back, I did a, a documentary-style video along with a big in-depth article about the insidious problem of bad science. About how science, especially the, the institutional science, the state-funded and academic science, how corruption is just eating science sadly uh scarily and then there was another book that i read it was rigor mortis and it was a deep dive on how science gets corrupted and rigor mortis you might want to check out my review of that one also that was done by a pbs pbs no npr journalist so that book was not done by a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist it was done by a uh, a government-funded uh journalist and it really excellently details just all these these terrifying ways that science is becoming quite corrupt so i'll quote from dr mercola he wrote corruption is an open secret known around the world that is systemic and spreading over two-thirds of countries are considered endemically corrupt according to transparency international corruption in the health sector is more dangerous than any other sector because it is literally deadly It is estimated that each year, corruption takes the lives of at least 140,000 children, worsens antimicrobial resistance, and undermines all of our efforts to control communicable and non-communicable diseases. Corruption is an ignored pandemic, and it is estimated that the world spends more than seven trillion dollars on health services and that at least 10 to 25 percent of global spending is lost directly through corruption representing hundreds of billions of dollars lost each year and then i'll look at something that was put out in 2000 by Dr. Barbara Starfield. She published a landmark paper showing 225,000 Americans die each year from iatrogenic causes, meaning their death is caused by a physician's activity manner or therapy. And to corroborate this, a 2016 study published in the BMJ estimated that medical heirs kill 250,000 Americans each year. That's an annual increase of about 25,000 people from Starfield's estimates. And these numbers uh, may still be vastly underestimated as deaths occurring at home or in nursing homes were not included so this is just a a horrific uh, level of life that is being lost because of corruption and incompetence which of course brings us to looking at the vaccines and again Let's take a look. Let's let's do some pondering of human nature here and think about how humans' uh, sense of ethics, decency, and morality, what happens when they are given the opportunity to grab a vast fortune. So vaccines are a primary driver for the drug industry. Merck, which is just one of several vaccine makers, reported over 6.1 billion in sales of their childhood vaccines during the first three quarters of 2019 alone. The global vaccine market was worth $41 billion as of 2019 and is estimated to hit. 58 billion by 2024. So you can see now why the critical thinker, why the empirical skeptic directs their skepticism towards vaccines. And let's take a wider look at Big Pharma. While the drug, this is talking about remdesivir, which is a brand new drug that has been rolled out, uh, I believe it was in 2020. While the drug has demonstrated only questionable benefits, Daniel O'Day, chairman and CEO of Gilead Sciences, which is a big pharma company, he believes Gilead balanced corporate profits. He believes they balanced corporate profits. And public health when they settled on $520 per vial, which equates to $3,120 for the recommended five day course of treatment. On the first day, a double dose is given. Meanwhile, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review released the calculated total cost of production packaging and a small profit margin on may 1st 2020 and the cost rounded to ten dollars per vial this is just astounding greed uh, in the face of tremendous suffering isn't it this is why i don't trust these fucking people okay Let's jump back into uh, pragmatics. Dr. Mercola has long talked about nebulizers, which are these aromatherapy devices. They're these these pretty cool devices that you kind of just uh, set them, well, I like to set mine next to my laptop as I'm working, and they, nebulize whatever liquids you put into them so that you can take these into your lungs a lot of times people just use these for aromatherapy which will make your room smell really nice but he recommends uh, he has evidence for using them as a therapy for acute COVID-19 It appears that nebulized hydrogen peroxide merely enables your immune cells to perform their natural function more effectively. In addition to being highly effective, it's inexpensive and has no side effects when used at the very low doses recommended. As for the hydrogen peroxide, when you are diluting it by 30 to 50 times, stabilizers are not likely to present a problem. But to be safe, your best bet is to use food grade peroxide. Also, do not dilute it with plain water as the lack of electrolytes in the water can damage your lungs if you nebulize it. Instead, use saline or add a small amount of salt to the water to eliminate this risk. And he does mention hydroxychloroquine. But he points out that hydroxychloroquine is and can be tricky to get your hands on. Obviously, there's tremendous demand for hydroxychloroquine at this time. So as an alternative, he recommends quercetin which is a nutraceutical you can buy it any number of places i imagine that most uh, vitamin uh, cottages will have it so uh, hydroxychloroquine I, i searched around there are some websites out there that uh you can buy it with Bitcoin, which I think is cool, but I am just going to use a quercetin. In fact, I'm going to try to pick up some quercetin sometime soon, although what you could use as well is methylene blue. And I do recommend, if you have not already, that you give a listen to the recent interview that I did with my friend Mark Sloan about his book just released about methylene blue. And methylene blue is this really fascinating dye that serves as an anti-aging Agent. It has an interesting uh, mechanism of regulating nitric oxide, which is this, um, which is this oxidant that is prevalent throughout our bodies. And when, you, when it's regulated, when it's suppressed a little bit, it has this uh, barrage of positive uh, anti-aging, nootropic effects on our system and there's some good evidence of methylene blue being effective for COVID-19 so my personal plan and I might suggest it to you if you're kind of a person like me if you're uh, if you're not fat if you don't have to worry about losing a lot of weight my plan is to prevent uh, a serious COVID infection I would kind of like to get COVID in fact maybe I've already gotten it and my body has beat it I would kind of like to get it so that my immune system can fight it and acquire that natural immunity to it so then I will get that proximal immunity to uh, future strains that that develop which the uh, mainstream media which you will certainly hear about because there'll be uh, another big fear campaign rolled out for them So, The Truth About COVID-19 gets five stars from me for rigorously making the case for freedom, health, and a suspicion of all of the monolithic institutions profiting from the COVID pandemic. And believe me, I'd love to say, give this book to friends and family who call you a conspiracy theorist because you don't buy into the mainstream covid narrative but my fear with a book like this is that it may be mostly preaching to the choir socially we've doubted the devil and now we doubt everything consensus reality is a shattered humpty dumpty that all the king's men cannot reconstitute do do check out the philosophical podcast that i did entitled doubt the devil doubt everything it'll kind of explain what's going on in the world and in society right now the red pilling of the normies uh those who believe in the mainstream covid narrative and are lining up to take the covid vaccines is more often than not a thankless and futile task. But it's worth it. And I'd urge you to at least try with the people that are close to you, that matter to you, with your loved ones. And I'll make the case why. If you read uh, many books about science, I make it a point to be reading a science book at, at just about any time. I'll typically read a nonfiction book and then I'll have a fiction book and the nonfiction book is almost always something about science or medicine. If you read books about science, or if you watch documentaries about science and there's must be thousands of great documentaries out there about science, which I do recommend this is the sad story that you encounter over and over again is that uh it's typically within the past hundred years it's typically relatively recent history there is some medicine that gets rolled out and everyone is excited about the new medicine but because of human greed, because of that profit motive, because the government regulators are not doing their job, because of the the hubris that scientists have, uh, which comes out of that, uh, which comes out of kind of a, an insecurity that I think a lot of the the personalities in the field of science have because of a combination of these factors it turns out that the brand new medicine that everyone was really excited about it turns out that it has some awful awful side effect that kills people that injures people that ruins people's lives that harms children and a couple of years later maybe a decade or two later It becomes this terrible, sad story where the new science, the new medicine, it got rolled out too fast. It wasn't properly safety tested. And there is a toll in life that is uh, staggering and saddening in how people are, are injured and handicapped. I'll direct you to a documentary I watched recently that was about the thalidomide children. And I will embed this documentary in this article. And this was this... Ah, it's so sad. In, I think it was the 1960s, 70s, there was this drug, thalidomide, that was rolled out by a German pharmaceutical uh, company that, oddly enough, had... uh, a bunch of uh, former uh, Nazi Party members on the board of the company, and the drug had this horrific effect on uh, the babies of the pregnant women that took the drug. It resulted in them being born uh, missing limbs and being uh, really deformed. It's if 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 you need to make an emotional case to someone about why why they should not be rushing out to take an experimental medicine you can do a google images search of thalidomide babies and it's it's horrific i'm not going to include those photos in in this review here but it really it really makes the point of why Medicine, why new science should get like a decade of safety testing before population wide rollouts. Moving towards my conclusion here to paint the picture of the kind of future that may be ushered in by the COVID scam, and the bad science being imposed on us in its wake, I'll quote from another book, Why We Sleep, that I reviewed recently. Fatal familial insomnia is described. And I'll quote a story here. Michael Cork became the man who could not sleep and paid for it with his life. Before the insomnia took hold, Cork was a high-functioning, active individual, a devoted husband, and a teacher of music at a high school in New Lexington, just south of Chicago. At age 40, he began having trouble sleeping. At first, Cork felt that his wife's snoring was to blame. In response to this suggestion, Penny Cork decided to sleep on the couch for the next 10 nights. Cork's insomnia did not abate and only became worse. After months of poor sleep and realizing the cause lay elsewhere, Cork decided to seek medical help. None of the doctors who first examined Cork could identify the trigger of his insomnia, and some diagnosed him with sleep-unrelated uh, disorders such as multiple sclerosis cork's insomnia eventually progressed to the point where he was completely unable to sleep not a wink no mild sleep medications or even heavy sedatives could wrestle his brain from the grip of permanent wakefulness Should you have observed Cork at this time, it would be clear how desperate he was for sleep. His eyes would make your own feel tired. His blinks were achingly slow, as if the eyelids wanted to stay shut, mid blink, and not reopen for. Days They telegraphed the most despairing hunger for sleep you could imagine. After eight weeks of no sleep, Cork's mental faculties were quickly fading. This cognitive decline was matched in speed by the rapid deterioration of his body, So compromised were his motor skills that even coordinated walking became difficult. One evening, Cork was to conduct a school orchestral performance. It took several painful, though heroic, minutes for him to complete the short walk through the orchestra and climb atop the conductor's rostrum, all Kane-assisted. As Cork approached the six-month mark of no sleep, he was bedridden and approaching death. Despite his young age, Cork's neurological condition resembled that of an elderly individual in the end stages of dementia. He could not bathe or clothe himself. Hallucinations and delusions were rife. His ability to generate language was all but gone. And he was resigned to communicating through rudimentary head movements and rare, inarticulate utterances whenever he could muster the energy. Several more months of no sleep and Cork's body and mental faculties shut down completely. Soon, after turning 42 years old, Michael Cork died of a rare, genetically inherited disorder called Fatal familial insomnia, or FFI. There are no treatments for this disorder, and there are no cures. The underlying cause of FFI is increasingly well understood and builds on much of what we have discussed regarding the normal mechanisms of sleep generation. The culprit is an anomaly of a gene called PRNP which stands for prion protein due to this puncturing attack by the prion protein the sensory gates of the thalamus was effectively stuck in a permanent open open position patients could never switch off their conscious perception of the outside world and as a result could not drift off into the merciful sleep that they so desperately needed. No amount of sleeping pills or other drugs could push the sensory gate closed. Fatal familial insomnia is part of a family of prion protein disorders that also includes creutzfeldt Jacob disease or so-called Mad cow. Disease. So this incurable permanent insomnia is a manifestation of prion disease. And concerningly, a recent paper by J. Bart Clausen, MD, COVID-19 RNA-based vaccines and the risk of prion disease elucidates the possible Causal link between COVID vaccines and this terrifying disease. Now, Dr. Clausen's paper has been criticized, and vaccine-induced prion disease remains a big question precisely because COVID-19 vaccines did not undergo the appropriate long-term safety trials, where they looked at what happened uh, years after they were administered. We simply have to wait and see what happens to the several hundred million people who have received these experimental vaccines. I pray to God that we don't have a resulting epidemic of uh, people with fatal familial insomnia that we that would truly be a a horrific vision of uh, hell on earth if that's what occurs and i hope that this dr clausen here is incorrect about the about the the causal link that could be there i've seen news reports about spiking cases in in prion disease, but it's, it's still, we're still too early in this cycle to, to tell if that's going to be a side effect that results. Can you imagine anything much worse than being unable to sleep and slowly dying while losing your mind? Can you imagine anything much worse than that happening to someone that you care about? If there's a slight chance of this being a COVID vaccine side effect, it's not worth it. Potentially saving your loved ones from this fate, which is worse than death, really. It's worth having a few contentious conversations. Please do have them. And you'll have to judge the best way to go about doing this. You'll need to make arguments that appeal to their biases. For example, maybe they hate big corporations or President Trump. This can be exploited. This can be an in. What I wouldn't recommend is sending them a long, rambling video with a hysterical title by some uncredentialed internet truther making wild claims about microchips and depopulation. You can expect that sort of thing to be ignored. You can try what I did to change my family members' minds, which is writing them a long-form letter, uh, making my case, trying to appeal to them. Feel free to uh, copy mine. I do link to it. Or, if they are a somewhat open-minded reader, you can give them this book, The Truth About COVID-19. I actually recommend getting the printed book, and handing it to them. It'll be a lot harder to ignore than an e-book or an Amazon Kindle book. That's my thoughts. I'm still inconclusive about whether I'll be addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, scandemic, plandemic, much in the future. I do hope that you read this book... And I am, of course, uh, I'm open to your thoughts on all of this. If you are, um, I don't know, what I might call a normie, if you're a person that believes the mainstream narrative, I would just thank you for listening uh, to this as long as you have. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, looking forward to a continued conversation with you.